I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, listeners. Dave and I are excited to announce that Sci-Fi Fidelity is doing another prize giveaway from Titan Books to help promote the podcast. That's right, Mike. Three lucky listeners can win their very own copy of Altered Carbon, The Art and Making of the Series, the official coffee table book companion to the Netflix series currently airing its second season as of February 27th. Yep, it's a richly detailed and beautifully presented art book that takes readers from the glittering area to the gritty streets of Bay City, featuring episode stills, development art, final designs, VFX builds, set photos, unseen storyboards, and concept art from the first two seasons, plus interviews with the cast and crew. Altered Carbon, the art and making of the series, will bring readers into this visually stunning futuristic world where technology has transformed mortality. Now, Mike, the book will be available to the world on March 31st, but why would you wait when you can be one of the very first to get your copy? Entering is simple. Just follow Sci-Fi Fidelity on Twitter or join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Sci-Fi Fidelity. Then respond to the giveaway thread, which is pinned to the top in both instances, and tell us who your favorite character is from Altered Carbon and why. And you can also win a bonus entry for writing a review for Sci-Fi Fidelity on Apple Podcasts. Just tell us what name your review is under when you respond to the Facebook or Twitter thread. Social media entries only need to be on one platform. No need to do both. The giveaway ends on March 26th and winners will be selected at random. If you're lucky enough to be one of those winners, you must respond to prize shipping address requests within 48 hours before new winners are chosen. Sorry, international listeners, we know we have quite a few, but this giveaway is open to U.S. residents only. So follow us and comment, and remember to subscribe to Sci-Fi Fidelity wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. Now for this week's installment. You've tuned in to Sci-Fi Fidelity, episode 93, Outlander. Welcome back, everybody. We're doing an interesting topic this time because, of course, we do a lot of introductions to new shows out there, but it's time to dive in deep with a show that we've had a lot of appreciation for over the years, and it deserves our attention because it's got a sci-fi element to it, but also, I don't know, a little Game of Thrones-y, Vikings-y kind of flair, and that's, of course, Outlander season five. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's one of those shows it's on the stars network and I hesitate to say it's a hidden gem because it's really popular, but it's on stars. So it doesn't have the numbers like game of Thrones, which is on HBO. But that said, it was developed by Ronald D Moore, who we all know from Battlestar Galactica. He brings Bear McCreary on board as he does on yes. <laughs> virtually all of his projects to do the music uh, series based on 
uber popular book series by Diana Gabaldon. Despite all of that, I think some sci-fi fans overlook it because they just think it's uh, a big romantic story, which, you know, it is to a certain extent. And I kind of wrote it off that way too, not only from the TV standpoint, but also I had been recommended. There was a woman I was dating back when these series first came out that she recommended it to me. And I said, okay, time travel. Yeah. But there was a lot leading up to that point. I think it's not until the deeper seasons of Outlander where we get into changing history and, and the time travel aspect of that. Although it seems like characters in this show just don't care about the consequences of what they do in the past. (laughs) Well, and I think for some, it's perhaps a byproduct of what it is they actually don't know. And I, and I know on one hand that seems like, okay, captain obvious, of course, (laughs) but, but still it just seems those from the future, which, you know, we now have three, they've got a better handle on what the impact of changes in history might actually mean. So, uh, you know, they, they perhaps bear more of a burden, but one of the things I love is the constant change of the storyline. And, and that's reflected in the opening credit sequence, which I, I think bears just spending a minute on because they retool it every season to reflect not only the changing time period, but the geographic location in, in the beginning, it was a heavily influenced Scottish music because it primarily took place in Scotland. Now that they're in America, it's got a completely different vibe. And I love that about it. Well, let me ask you this too, and I'm going to be asking a lot of questions, by the way, listeners, because (laughs) I haven't seen this series. Dave has been keeping up with it. Um, I watched the episodes that we're going to be talking about, and I know enough about the books. But So I'll ask this question, Dave, and that is, is it appropriate that we chose season five to come in on this show because of some of the consequences that they are exploring maybe more thoroughly this, this season? Absolutely. And I think they're recognizing the impact more. Certainly Brianna is questioning decisions that her mother is making and the impact they might have on the future. Yeah. I can't wait to talk about that. Right. That's later. (laughs) And as you implied, it just seems like some of them, yeah, whatever I'm doing it anyway. (laughs) Yeah. But again, I think there are good reasons why they act the way they do. But, you know, let's do a real quick season one to four recap. The main character, Claire Randall, first introduced as a World War II surgical nurse, returns to her husband as the war ends. 1946, they travel to Scotland and to a large extent, they want to reconnect in their marriage because they've been apart for, I think, five years Something draws her to the Standing Stones at Craig Nadoon, and the next thing you know, she travels back in time to 1743. Now, she finds herself in the middle of the ongoing fight between the Scottish Highlanders and the English Redcoats, led by Captain Blackjack Randall, who looks eerily just like her husband, who is, of course, played by the same actor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and... You know, she gets taken in by the Mackenzie clan, eventually falls in love with, marries Jamie Fraser, the other central character. And, you know, what starts off as a marriage of convenience develops into this, you know, really intense love. And, okay, yes, there's a lot of kissing. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, these, these characters have a lot of charisma to them as well and lots of chemistry as well. So 
just because it's not secondary like it is in some of our other sci-fi shows doesn't make it less enjoyable and impactful. Yeah, and in the early seasons, there is a lot of graphic sex between the two of them, but I just think the way it's presented, I think even the most purient of viewers can accept that you know they're, they're presenting it this way. Well, maybe not. They'll probably say, ah, you didn't have to show me. But <laughs> Well, but except if it hadn't been there, the book readers would have revolted. Yeah, yes, and <laughs> you have to. Yeah, again, I think it's reasonable to want to give them what they expect. Now, Claire gets pregnant actually twice. She loses the first child. And, you know, amid their travels, adventures, horrific experiences, you know, we really see these characters change. But one of the first historical events is the Battle of Culloden, during which the Scottish Highlanders are, are basically massacred. And it's here that Claire considers the consequences of her knowledge of historic events and what changing them might entail. And because of the knowledge she gives to Jamie that, dude, you're going to lose, he's still willing to go and fight. But he tells her, go back to your time, save not only yourself, but their unborn baby, which is, of course, what she does. So 20 years goes by. Her husband in the future, you know, in the 20th century, eventually dies. Claire learns that Jamie didn't die at the Battle of Culloden. Her daughter, Brianna, is now grown, and Claire makes a decision to try to return to the 17th century and find Jamie. And the other interesting thing, and this is one of the things, just talking about it now gives me goosebumps, is that when she goes back, she and we learn that there are other time travelers in addition to Claire. Yeah. And this is where it gets into sci-fi fidelity territory for me, because once you get that underlying mystery that you can weave throughout, that's where it gets really fun. Right. And I really hope they come back and address those other travelers at some point. Uh, They certainly had nice storylines when they were, active but uh, it's been a while so jamie and claire now find themselves in america and they settle on what becomes known as fraser's ridge in north carolina back in the 20th brianna their daughter learns that her parents are going to die in a fire so she does the reasonable thing and sees if she can go to the stones travel back in time and save her parents which of course she does but i think the key thing is Jamie finally gets to meet his daughter. I mean, Claire has told him all about her, but obviously that's not the same. And, you know, we get these little scenes where she's traveling back to the 17th century and she's got actual photographs. Oh, wow. And and did 20 years pass for Jamie as well? Yes. Or? Yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> right. Now, she's got a boyfriend slash kind of beau named Roger, who's an academic, and he leaves her... I don't want to say a dear Roger letter, but, but I mean, because (laughs) her intentions are pure, she's not really breaking up with Roger, but she tells him what she's doing. And again, we've talked about this a lot, certainly with impulse. Uh, Yeah. You know, go ahead and tell everybody that I teleported you away and that's how you got, yeah, (laughs) see, see how that works out. So the fact that Roger actually, you know, takes this to heart and, What's Roger do? Well, again, he goes to the stones and the next thing you know, he's 
in the 17th century, but he's got his own arduous journey as well. But one of the key scenes, and this is one thing about Outlander that that is disturbing when you have to sit through it. There are a number of violent rape scenes throughout the course of the, the five seasons, and we see Brianna raped by the pirate Stephen Bonnet. And then once she discovers she's pregnant, the baby's father now becomes, you know, up in the air. And, and of course, uh, now that we're in season five, it's really for all of us to just want it to be Roger's baby. She approaches it like it's Roger's baby and he knows what's going on. I mean, are, are you surprised that he reacts the way he does just really embracing that this is his child? Right. And also combine that with the fact that, and it's kind of fun to watch Roger's a fish out of water. He can't do anything for himself in this time. And so you got to feel bad for the guy on many levels. <laughs> oh, right. And, and again, I mentioned he's an academic, so he's got the knowledge of what the times were like, but again, knowing and actually doing are two different things. <laughs> so, so let's jump into season five. We're going to talk about the first two episodes in some detail. We've got a few things to say about episode three in the spoiler zone, but uh, not a whole lot really occurred in, in that bottle episode. But one of the things we see in season five is that Jamie and Claire have built and nurtured Fraser's Ridge into this community that's eventually going to be forced to choose between the crown and independence because we see at the heart of all this the seeds of the American Revolution. And of course, Claire knows the outcome. She has a photographic mind, it would seem, remembering historical details. I'm not sure I would be able to remember <laughs> all that. But between her, Brianna, and Roger, they know how things are going to play out. So as you mentioned a few minutes ago, how much do we try to change and how much do we let the natural course of events play out? Because again, how many times have we said this in our various time travel shows? You think you're changing one thing, but there are always unintended consequences. Well, and I think the person who has the best perspective on that from the standpoint of not knowing too much is Jamie because he actually is told and has knowledge of what's coming, but he can still make sane decisions. And I think that's a key grounder for the people who just think of it as history. Right. And we see a lot of those kinds of exchanges between uh, him and Claire about how much she should do based on what she knows. But in this episode, we really see her daughter calling her to task because yeah. <laughs> one of the things that comes out here is that Claire just doesn't seem concerned at all with changing the course of events of the American Revolution. and Or with penicillin in episode two. Well, right. So. <laughs> and, and she's got to be careful. And this is something that she recognized from the start, even way back in season one, that she has to be careful not to reveal too much of her modern knowledge of medicine. And, you know, again, she's done a lot of things along the way and she explains, well, this is some random doctor that I studied with. So no, it's not, you know, it's not magic. Although at one point she accused of being a witch, but uh, <laughs> here she does an autopsy, which, Brianna points out is dangerous in this time. Oh yeah. And of course we understand Claire 
being a doctor, wanting to save as many people as she can. It's like I said to my wife when we were watching it the other night. Well, you know, she technically hasn't taken the Hippocratic Oath yet. Well, the main thing I'm worried about for her is that she could easily be accused of being a witch. Right. And not to mention, you know, doesn't she get some butcher to to help her out? In the, and he's awfully um, accepting of it at first, actually. He must have a certain amount of curiosity to it. But that surprised me, too, that that she brought in someone who could get her in trouble in that sense. Right. But I guess for Claire, you know, the the case that really brings it all to a head is one of the men dies from an infection that never had to really take his life, that they could have done things that wouldn't have precipitated his death. I think the the wife has been feeding him mercury, which, right. of course- <laughs> And leeches. Right, which, of course, horrifies Claire. So she's battling the ignorance of the local women when it comes to treating these illnesses. And, and you mentioned penicillin, and her daughter says- You've lost your mind. <laughs> Penicillin's not going to be invented for 150 years. And I think when you really consider that and the impact that penicillin had on society once it was invented, does Claire just, I, I mean, is she that naive? <laughs> is she, I mean, she's not stupid, but. Well, there's a lot of characters in time travel shows, I feel like, where they think, What's the greater good here? Am I going to follow some esoteric law of physics that I don't truly understand anyway, or am I going to save lives? And it's what's right in front of you, especially when it has to do with saving lives, that makes you throw caution to the wind. And we've seen that in Continuum and Travelers, all kinds of shows. Right. And I'm glad you mentioned that because it just seems most of the time travel shows that we talk about, that we watch on our own, you've got travelers from the future coming back to the past to change things because of the apocalyptic future in which they live has just reached the point of no return. And that's not really what we've got here No, with Claire, Roger, and Brianna. But Brianna pointedly asks her if she's playing God. And that is kind of the question because most of their acts Claire, especially, are examples of playing God. And her response, time, space, history be damned. And <laughs> her daughter's looking at you like, Mom, <laughs> do I even know you? But but again, as you said, I mean, her intentions are to help the greater good. But then you think penicillin. Well, fine. Let's say for the sake of argument, she develops penicillin and it works. And the British army gets hold of it. And and they win the war. <laughs> and they win the war. Yeah. So yep, that could happen. Well, the thing is, and I wanted to mention this because I found it ironic that Brie was the voice of reason because she does have her own issues in this episode with um, kind of, a, I think it's episode two, where she's kind of obsessively drawing pictures and kind of definitely showing signs of the trauma of what happened with Bonnet. So, you know, I think it's interesting that she can be the voice of reason with her mom, but not necessarily with herself. And I think that just makes for a nice, complex character that way. Well, it does. And I think all of them are like that. And, and we see that this is her way of coping. And, and of course, there's another plot point that gets thrown into the mix that's obviously going to play a big role down the road here. 
But the other storyline that's going on in the first couple episodes revolves around the British governor who's who's gotten close to Jamie. Jamie's walking that fine line between wanting to support in his heart what the Highlanders are doing. I think they refer to them as the regulators that, you know, these are the seeds of the American Revolution, the, the taxation without representation. And not only is Jamie walking that fine line, but but he kind of likes these British officers that he has contact with for the most part. But now he's told he's got to hunt down and hang Murta for his role in leading an insurrection focused on the taxation. Now, the officers don't know the extent of Jamie's relationship with Murta. Uh, they just think one Highlander should be able to find this other Highlander and, you know, you need to go do it. So this is becoming a, a pretty intense plot thread. Yeah, and you can tell this is going to carry at least through the first half of the season. But certainly it's the main conflict here because even by episode two, they're starting to get impatient <laughs> with Jamie. Right. And we see Brianna's wedding to Roger take place. That was cool. That was cool. But the other thing that's cool is we see Aunt Cameron, who is uh, this rich relative with whom uh, Brianna stayed when she first got to the Americas. And she goes out to the shed and, and we're thinking like, All right, what the hell is she going out to the shed? And Myrta is there. And the two of them are, have been having a relationship. <laughs> but she's such a great character and just almost the antithesis of of what uh, of the kind of woman you would think Myrta would end up with but we don't get to dwell on their relationship for too long because the british officer tryon has ordered jamie to hang Myrta, and obviously that's something jamie's had hanging over his head no pun intended but Colonel Frazier, and he, he makes a point of constantly referring to him in that manner, has been ordered to gather his men, begin the search. And for the most part, his men are other Highlanders who have emigrated to America. So the problem is obvious. What can Jamie do? He can't simply go out for a couple of weeks, come back and say, that eh, couldn't find him. I know. <laughs> well, in fact, by the end of the episode, I think he just tells him to run because what else? What other counsel can Jamie give his godfather? Oh, right. And, and it's not as if the English officer hasn't anticipated that because he says, essentially, if you don't bring me back this body, the crown's going to take back your land and brand you a traitor. So we now have got that prospect hanging out there that everything they've built in Fraser's Ridge, is it going to just dissipate or... Is that scene with all the townspeople swearing their fealty to Jamie, does that set up the fact that, you know, when the time comes, the British better watch out because Highlanders know how to fight? Yeah, and it's going to affect them, too. It's not just uh, Jamie's life that's at stake. I, I do like also the fact that he had to call out Roger. Oh, that was great. In front of everybody. <laughs> that was great. Names him a captain. <laughs> and you know, you know that line, the founding of a 
kinship in this new world. Again, there's just so much that that Roger has had to adjust to. It just seems he's had a much more difficult time oh, yeah. than any of the others. For sure. <laughs> and we understand. But, you know, as Jamie says, they wanted a Highlander. I'll give him a Highlander. It's just that I don't think they really expected him to take that tack. So uh, the other cool thing is that cross he builds to be burned in the future. And it's called the Fiery Cross, which is a once it's lit, alerts the men to prepare for battle. So... Again, what is it? Chekhov's gun. We know it's going to play a role down the road sooner, probably rather than later. Yeah, I think it's probably if it weren't for the battle episode in episode three, I would have said it would have happened then. (laughs) Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Yeah, yeah. But the, the meeting he has with Murta, and, and you know, you mentioned a minute ago that his advice is just run, but it's a lot more complicated than that because of their history. And Murta is one of the few that knows the truth about the time travelers. And he even says, yeah, you've got kind of an advantage because of the three time travelers. And, you know, Jamie releases him from the vow that he made to Jamie's mother, you know, when Jamie was a child to watch over him. But we just have to wonder whether or not this is the last time they see each other, or are we going to get that scene where they face off in battle and there's just no other option? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I say before too, Murtaugh is not doing himself any favors either by continuing his fight in full view and basically he's not hiding he hides a little bit when he's you know getting together with auntie jocasta but (laughs) other than that he's basically you know doing that tarring and feathering business in the next town over and you know that's kind of painting a target on your back and putting the pressure on jamie i felt that was kind of unfair of him well, you know, and it's interesting because in the current political climate, you, you sometimes wonder why an individual on either side of the political spectrum, why would you do that? <laughs> You're yeah. given the other side ammunition. And that's certainly what Murta does here. Again, we don't really get a deep dive into what the colonists are going through at the hands of the British. I, I guess Diana Gabaldon and Ronald D. Moore are depending on us to remember what we learned in high school history classes <laughs> and college history classes. Right. 
because it does seem pretty extreme to do the tar and feathering, as you just mentioned. But more than anything, it just shows a lack of mercy yeah. on Murta's part that I thought you were better than them. Right, exactly. He's actually doing the... Well, and you say that too, but then there was the the scene where uh, the British captain, I guess he's the lieutenant, kind of runs the guy through. Yeah. And Jamie says, you didn't even give that that guy a fair trial. You're not... Right. <laughs> so I have the feeling that there's irony on both sides there. Yeah. And, and poor Jamie is, again, just caught in the middle that, that he understands that Murtaugh has gone too far, but again, so did the British officer when he just runs that guy through. And then Knox, the officer, confides in Jamie that he feels like a hypocrite. Yeah. And then it just completely disappears, and he turns it into a justification that I gave him a soldier's death. Yeah. And we're like, as Jamie's (laughs) like, what? Rationalization. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now, the other story arc that we see in these first two episodes revolves around Brianna and Roger as they face life in the 18th century, knowing what they could have in the 20th. And it's now just not the two of them as they have a child. And I think that's one of the most interesting aspects of what we see going on in the first two episodes is what do you do? And one of the things we haven't talked about tonight is, well, you said that they went to the stones and traveled back in time. Why doesn't anybody just do it? Or why don't they just go back anytime they want to? That's the question that some people might ask. Well, right. And as I understand it, they could go back at any time. But the question about why doesn't anybody just do it? Well, apparently anybody can't just do it. Apparently there's some sort of genetic component that Jamie doesn't have right and I, and that's present in the books as well so right so we get that great scene where aunt cameron wants to talk to roger about her will and he just assumes she's going to leave everything to brianna and she says well you know what i've changed my mind i'm now leaving it to baby jeremiah because basically i don't trust you you're a presbyterian and i don't trust <laughs> presbyterians yeah and his reaction is he is pissed. You can take your money and shove it where the sun don't shine. And you see this smile come over her. It's like, it's exactly the response I wanted. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of reverse psychology in it. I think with Murtaugh as well, that's, they, they know how to manipulate their men. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And then because this is hanging overhead so much, Roger mentions to Brianna, maybe when we go back, We can do this all over again, meaning the wedding. But he's presupposing that she wants to go back. So now the question is, we know Roger wants to go back. He is clearly a fish out of water. (laughs) Brianna's quickly assimilated as has her mother. Well, but she also has an unhealthy attachment, I think, to this time. And that's kind of the dark side of her. Well, that is true. So whether or not she wants to go back is a question that that's still out there. And then Brianna asks her mom if she should maybe teach the guests at the wedding, the mashed potato or the twist, which is a, a you know, just subtle a, dig. A, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we mentioned earlier the rape that she experiences at the hands of Stephen Bonnet. And now she learns that he is alive 
and maybe close by. Now, what's close by? He's in the Carolinas, apparently. Wilmington, so, Wilmington. Right. So we don't necessarily know how, well, I didn't get a map out. So I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure, but uh, it's not like he's going to be the there state. the next day. <laughs> right. Right. But then we see that he suspects he's the father of Brianna's child. And once she learns all of this, as you mentioned, the drawings that, that she's doing constantly and they are very dark yes. i mean it's one thing that she's doing them in charcoal because that's all she has but i mean they are dark even for charcoal drawings but will she then agree to return to the 20th century for the safety of her family and she understands roger wants to go back at least we know He'll never be hurt in a road accident, she tells him, <laughs> but it comes down to family. I mean, she doesn't want to leave her mother and she doesn't want to leave her father. And poor Jamie, he's only just gotten to know her. And, uh, you know, their relationship is interesting because she grew up for 20 years with a man that while she knew he wasn't her biological father, she certainly accepted him as the man who raised her and certainly has, you know, nothing but good thoughts about him. And, and Claire doesn't want her to, to forget about him. Now, did I read too much into it? Because obviously, like I said, I'm not an Outlander viewer over the seasons. But am I reading too much into it to think Bree is also that that drawing? You know, it makes me think of obsession and maybe she's not sure who the father is. And so there's an attachment somehow there that's keeping her tied to the past or, or am I just putting my own spin on it? Well, I think we have to consider that. And how can you not as a human being want to exact some kind of revenge? Oh, there you go. Yeah. On the man that did that to you. So is it a question of once bonnet is taken out of the picture, either, by her, by Roger, by Jamie, that then she can feel free to go back to the 20th century. I think we absolutely have to consider that. And I like how they reemphasized Bonnet's evil just by showing him torturing a guy who who calls him out for cheating. It's like we, we needed to be remind, reminded what trash he was, I guess. <laughs> right, right. And I think the interesting thing from a plot standpoint, and I haven't read the book, so I don't know if this is something that has been covered in uh, forthcoming novels. I mean, I don't know. Is it like Game of Thrones? I'm not even sure if they're still actually in the novels or... Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> I didn't get that far. <laughs> right. But you got to feel like Stephen Bonnet is going to get killed by either... Jamie, Roger, or Brianna. Or or maybe even Claire, who knows? <laughs> or maybe even Claire. And is then one of them going to have to stand trial for murder? Oh, you got to go into the writer's room and put that up on the on the <laughs> yeah. index card. Well, I'm guessing they've already got that one. Done. I'd be disappointed if they don't. But, but Claire unexpectedly tells Roger that she hopes they don't stay. It's safer in the future but they don't know whether their son can hear the stones. Now, I think it's safe to say from a genetic standpoint, if Roger is the father and he traveled uh, through the stones yeah, and Brianna is the mother and she traveled. So I that think, might be a good paternity test. <laughs> well, and, and again, whether that's going to be something that comes up, not sure, but you know, you, you mentioned, I mean, Bonnet is a full blown psychopath 
he acknowledges he's the father and, and, or he acknowledges that he's a father. And we have to wonder whether or not he is referring to Brianna's child. So, uh, you know, the first two episodes were just really, really good. And that's why episode three was a little bit disappointing. So why don't we go ahead and jump into the spoiler zone? It's going to be a short one this time. (laughs) So if you have not seen episode three yet, make your exit and we will talk to you guys next week. (laughs) You are now entering the spoiler zone. All right. So we've got the quintessential bottle episode and it really is one of those episodes. I don't understand why you would spend an entire hour on this storyline. I mean, it's not like, you're in television of the 22 episode season yeah. area. You know, you got 10 episodes or whatever and, and you, you know, you spend it this way. But in terms of things that I think are important, that statement that Claire makes about bringing the future forward. And I love the phraseology that she uses. I just, again, question the wisdom of it. Well, yeah, and, and it, it's the quintessential bottle episode because it literally furthers nothing about the Murtaugh plot or the Brianna plot with Bonnet or anything. It's just kind of as its own thing. Now, that being said, the first two episodes was very light on Claire action. And this one is all full on Jamie and Claire. So some people may have been itching for for more of the main characters. I don't know. Right. Now, the only thing I would say in terms of furthering the plot, and I think it actually does just in a minuscule manner, is when Claire tells Jamie that she wants Brianna, Roger, and the child to go back to their time. Okay. Well, that's, I guess that's part of it then. Yeah. Right. And, and of course, that comes as kind of a shock to Jamie while he can intellectualize the need to do that he's just met his daughter. He's just been able to experience a grandchild. And now you're going to tear all this away from me when you know I can't go with them. And Claire's not saying she's going to go. She's not going to abandon Jamie again. So we know that, but still this is his daughter. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that's handled once we get to episode four. But in terms of spoilers, that's pretty much it for episode three. <laughs> yeah, there's not much else. I mean, the whole Beardsley family, the the involvement of Fanny, it's like all that is very incidental. I mean, you get to see more Claire doing medical things as she delivers a baby. And that appeals to people who have seen her do similar things throughout the four seasons, I assume. Uh, so yeah, I guess there's appeal of that way and and just getting a little horror genre stuck in there for uh, fans of that sort of thing as well, I guess. (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, you know, the episode I could not get out of my head almost the entire hour was that X-Files episode. I believe it was season four called home. Oh Oh, my God. (laughs) That was one that was so disturbing that Fox didn't rerun it at the time. Well, especially since, I mean, it's clear that Fanny was keeping that one guy alive just so she could torture him. Right. So it was, <laughs> I mean, it was horrific at a different level, but anyway, so, <laughs> yeah. uh, not missing much if you skip that one. <laughs> so, 
Uh, if you have not started watching Outlander, uh, you know, get your Stars subscription. And actually, I think the first three seasons might be on Netflix now that I oh, think cool. about it. But it, it really is a great show. I mean, the, the costuming, the acting really is as good as it gets. So uh, that said, Mike, what do we have up next week? Well, we have a, a kind of a switch in our schedule. Dave is just now finding out about this, actually. I did an interview that was going to be on the Fourth Wall podcast, which is our interview podcast that's non-genre. But I figured, you know what? This is timely enough and sciencey enough that it should go on Sci-Fi Fidelity. And that's our interview with executive producer Andrewian and host Neil deGrasse Tyson of Cosmos Possible Worlds. Now, Dave, I grew up with the original Cosmos back in 1980 with Carl Sagan, and I'm sure you saw it back in the day as well. What a great show for science nerds. <laughs> well, I, I watch it all the time now. And in fact, I, I downgraded my direct TV package and I suddenly got the heebie-jeebies the other night and started scrolling through. Oh, my, they better not have gotten rid of the science channel. Thank gosh, I still have it. <laughs> yeah. And Neil deGrasse Tyson rebooted it back in 2014. And Andrew, and of course, is Carl Sagan's wife and uh, co-authored a lot of his stuff with him and was part of the Golden Record Project and all that for Voyager. So definitely some interesting and distinguished people to talk to. And you want to talk about some well-spoken people for an interview. These two, you, you pretty much just have to give them a little prompt and, and they just go to town. So it's going to be a very fun interview. Cosmos Possible Worlds returns for a season three, they're calling it, because 1980 is season one, 2014 is season two, and now 2020 is season three. And it's returning on March 9th. So that's going to be a fun interview uh, that's got some science fiction and nonfiction in it. So it'll definitely be fun to talk to those two and was glad to be able to do that. But that's next week on the podcast. That's it for this episode of Sci-Fi Fidelity. Keep the discussion going on social media. You can follow Den of Geek on Twitter and Facebook at Den of Geek US. And we are at Sci-Fi Fidelity. And in the meantime, we'd love it if you could rate and review the podcast wherever you access it. And, you know, don't hesitate to send us your suggestions for future topics. You can do that through social media or email to sci-fi fidelity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 